With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thanks for tuning in to an episode of Around the Coin. Our guest today is Gabrielle Musella, the CEO and co-founder of Coin Rule. Coin Rule has raised about three and a half million dollars. They went through YC. Gabriel is a veteran. He started a number of different startups, three-time fundraiser. Uh, we talked about on the show the adoption of crypto for the masses how the user experience of current DeFi products plays a role into that adoption, uh, crypto blockchain morphing into the traditional fintech space. Uh, we talked about his story beginning as an entrepreneur in London and managing the fully remote team. Uh, much, much more. So <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Gabriel and I have a lot of overlap, having both started companies in crypto and in, in the nightlife industry. So we shared some of that journey as well. So I bring you Gabrielle Musella. All right, Gabriel, I'm excited to, uh, to chat with you. So most recently you're working on Coin Rule. Um, you've seen a decent amount of success so far. Can you explain to me what, in your words, Coin Rule started off attempting to do in the world? What's the initial foray or uh, problem you're trying to solve? Yes. Yeah, so the initial problem is uh, to allow uh, normal people to create uh, automated trading strategies. So, uh, you know, if you if you have a day, a day job and you cannot sit uh, all day long in front of charts doing fundamental analysis and all of that, you know, you can and you want to build a, a machine, but you're not a good coder and, or you're not a tech guy. Then you need to find some good tools to 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 allow you to create these automatic rules. And that's why we came up, uh, you know, with Coro in the first place. I actually wanted myself um, to to create something like that. It was in 2000, I think, 16. Yeah, I used. To, I mean, I bought Bitcoin in 2012, um, and then I sold them on Coinbase for five percent profit. I was so happy. But then, uh, and then I went with this money. I went to Bahamas to you know for a holiday with a friend. It was a, an amazing holiday, but very expensive one. And um, and then I just did this account on on Coinbase, right? So I went back four years after in 2016, and then I checked there was this new coin called Ethereum, and then I started buying it. And then I got again into like you know into the gist of, of, of cryptos, and that's where I actually wanted to get an automated strategy. I couldn't find any tool, and that's when I started sketching uh, the first interface of, of our product, and then it became a company. Yeah. And has this become a, a swell or, you know, in venture, I often see like my last company was an example of this where one company raises 5 million or 15 million or something. And then two, three other companies quickly pop up and get funded. Is that the space now? Would you categorize it as like a hot space or is it just an anomaly with yeah. you guys coming out? No, it, it is a hot space. Yeah, there's like we have uh, two main competitors, but also uh, it's very interesting. We see the ecosystem just growing uh, in a lot of different, you know, uh, directions. Not just automated trading, but also like you know, someone is targeting the retailers, and someone is targeting the uh, the, the more like the B two B, the small family offices, the pro users. So there's a lot of diversity at the moment, and um, you know, with the crypto, it's very funny because when you have a bull market, uh, a lot of companies, random company, pop up, and they are not really solid, right? But then uh, the one that really succeed are the one that were working during the bear market. And I think when there's a low market, it's a very good opportunity for all the companies just to you know, put heads down and actually work on the actual important thing, the product market fit, so that when next wave happens, you're you are ready actually to then take advantage of, of, of the of the product market fit that you found and there's a huge leverage. So last time, like you know, we grew like 10x 
from uh, November 2020 to May 2021, we grew like 10x in revenues quickly in six months. So that's because we had done a good uh, prep work before. So I think there are always competitors and the market is hot always, but it also depends what competitors and how serious they are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think of it as when you're, when you're, riding a wave, it, there's a huge advantage. You know, if you have an idea and it gets funded, that's great, even if there's low product market fit. But oftentimes I look at competitors as a signal to the concept being valid and the concept being a big, big idea. So I really like the interface. It's like very intuitive, uh, even for simple users, but it also feels like it's super powerful for people who are professional traders. Um, how about like fast forward to the end end stage of the product. Do you think of conceptually the user and ex- user experience being something that is going to forever remain manual interface, or do you view trading conceptually as something that eventually just becomes you know ninety percent algorithmically determined? Like I, I guess your your perceptions on on algorithmic trading or manual trading period is this a stopgap until there's just 95% or 100% uh, algorithms determining trades? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, like, in the world, if you see every industry, every product lines, you know, there's uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning coming over and a kind of automatization all over us. You see that with the cars, self-driving cars. You see that with the thermostats at home, with your boiler. You see it in, like, all, in all different parts of life. So, obviously, our assumption is that in the future, uh, the only the only way to trade would be with some some sort of automation that can be you know uh, basically some sort of machine learning about your data and giving you pre- prediction and giving you some sort of superpower so so that, that so that you can take better decision decisions um, and and that's our assumption and that's why we want to really be in that space where if you in the future if you think about automation the no brainer will be to go on coin rule because you can find all sort of digital assets and we are talking about you know cryptocurrencies as well non crypto in fact we are now integrating also a stock exchange the first one we are trialing and then we are also looking at fx commodities and potentially also defi we are already have a proof of concept on Solana. So the idea is that you have this layer of automation to manage your portfolio, and you can trade on different exchanges uh, on the all, all different assets. So uh, that, that would be the the, the place uh, where, where you come, you know, if you want to really compete in, in the market, because there's a huge disparity, right? There's investment banks, big wells, hedge funds mm. using quant trading already has been they've been using for the last forty years, and the, the normal people, the hobbyist traders, they don't have access to those tools because. It's just too difficult to build an algo trades. In fact, we, we tend to call it automated trading because algos, they just, they look very scary. Even if an algo, it's actually a very simple concept, right? Um, and that's our assumption. So we just want to give the weapon to the people so they can fight back yeah. in this, in this kind of financial world. Yeah, it makes sense to me. <clears throat> I think at the end of the day, people will always make human decisions on where they put their money and their resources. And so if you give people tools to make their own decisions more sophisticated or, uh, more nuanced, then that conceptually doesn't seem like it's ever going to go away. And, and also there's, there's this thing that we, we really, uh, try to respect our users as much as possible, thinking like, you know, people, you know, most of the people, they actually understand all the basic com- concept of finance if you explain them in the right way, in a clear way, in plain English, right? So for example, in our app, a simple stop loss, uh, you know, it's not even called stop loss. You know, it's like we, we really use plain English for all sorts of kind of models and strategies that you can use. Um, and we have seen that also with the big, uh, with the big traders or so the small family offices that they trade with us. They just use like, they do accumulation. So they accumulate small, small amount of, of, of uh, specific coins every day. They do liquidation. So they, they don't change the price, but they do it like bit by bit. They do rebalancing. They do very simple things. You know, it's not really rocket science. Everyone is a brain and can, they can just understand, you know, how to manage their finances. This is our main assumption. We give automation a, a very powerful, a simple to use machine to people that have a brain and they can spend a few hours to understand how to manage their finances. Literally, this is what we do. People with a brain. <laughs> I <don't laughs> know. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was looking into your background. We have a lot of uh, overlapping experiences. That I, I'm curious to hear your 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 side with um, uh, going into the, the clubbing, building like an e-commerce clubbing tool. Uh, I know you were oh, in the day, dressing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. F- Flared, Paylinko, all those. I had a, a similar experience in building a point of sale payments company. It was the first startup, raised a little bit of money and sold it. And then I built an app that allowed people to place orders for drinks in bars. Oh. Yeah, called Flowtab. And we were, we were all over San Francisco. We had 12 bars up there. 
And that did not end up working out. But through those experiences, I'm curious to ask you, when you jump into a new concept or a new industry entirely, do you tend to hit the ground and learn as much as you can and just read everything and talk to people and absorb? Or are you more of the personality type to just execute from day one and figure it out along the way? Because I tend to be in the former category where I'm like, I feel more comfortable if I understand wh- what how things sort of work first before mm-hmm. building. I mean, I, 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 I would love to say the first one, but actually I'm also like, you know, just jump into it and then I learn, uh, you know, I'm really, I'm a like, kind of learning by doing type of guy. I need to actually work on a project to be able to, to kind of, uh, kind of absorb all the knowledge. So I think, yeah, it's always been like kind of one company morphing into another, one idea coming up for a specific conversation, a specific situation. For example, the, the, the type of Groupon, mobile Groupon app, you know, for buying drinks and then clubbing that came because I have a very strong uh, friendship with one guy that was at Groupon at the time. And, and, you know, we had a lot of conversation about that. That was an economy that was growing. Um, and then, uh, the other one about, uh, you know, they're addressing the beauty space that was because you know, family, you know, my family, they are hairdressers. So I know the space very well. Uh, and there's a problem that I feel. And from that, it morphed, morphed out into a Paylinko because then and it's actually also what happened to PayPal. You know, PayPal at the beginning, they built this huge dashboard for financial transactions, but then they saw the actual one feature was working very well. It was the actual, the link with the kind of the virtual currencies account back then. Um, and with the, with the flare was the same with this, uh, hairdressing company, uh, was basically only the pay by link was the, the thing that really was working because it basically it turns out that Mobile hairdressers, they waste a lot of time sitting around cafes, just waiting for the next client. And also because the cancellation rate is very high. Uh, so we found that actually sending that simple link to get to actually collect a deposit for, for the booking was actually the most valuable thing for them. And that's how then we saw actually that that, that could become a product also for other uh, verticals, uh, all the contractors, installers, all the freelancers. And that's how Pelingo, uh, you know, uh, basically was born. Uh, it's, it was a, a pivot of the market, I would say. So it's kind of the company always morph into each other. Uh, and that's usually the case, you know, with the, with, with, with the startups, right? It's never like uh, something very clear and cut. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a particular aspect of starting a business that inspires you when you, when similar to you, when you jump into multiple areas? One thing I, I've thought about more recently as I've gotten older is what's the, what matters to me? Like, do, does, does the type of people and the type of problem matter to me? Does making money matter to me? Does just like broadly helping the world in whatever area matter? H- how do you think about this? Like, is it obviously crypto has the advantage that it's growing quickly, but yeah, I think, I think it's like, it's like a mix of feelings. So it starts always that I get, I discover something personally and then I, and then I get super excited. Mm. And then I, I start going around to understand if I just, I'm the only one discovering that or actually someone else did it before me. And then it becomes all like kind of a kind of negotiation process. Am I low with just the idea? There is actually a real market. So, and in the meanwhile, I, I, I keep working on, you know, crunching the numbers, the financials, the market, kind of validate, validate more and more and more. The problem from a user research point of view, so talking to a lot of stakeholders, like, you know, doing focus group, talking to people, one-to-one interviews, at the same time with the market, right? And it's all that negotiation that kind of then brings you back to reality. But the beginning is always a big excitement because you discover something. And it can be, in this case with the coin rule was uh, a personal problem. So I was super happy just to solve it for myself. And I, I still have the sketch of my first interface somewhere. And I will make it uh, an NFT at some point because it's so cool. Like to have the first one. And, uh, and, and then, and then across all this journey, then I start to also understand all the feasibility and I start understanding also if there is uh, what I call founder market fit. Because, you know, the founder really need to love the market, that sector to be, you know, sticking around for 10 years. So it, this is something that, for example, with my company, Flair, the hairdressing one, I don't think I had that good uh, kind of, you know, fit for that specific market. That's more kind of organic and more operational. So I think I'm, I'm more like on the exponential side, more on the tech side. Mm. So when you assess that with Coin Rule, did you feel that you had a background or a particular interest in trading or do you look at it more broadly as in crypto is the thing that you feel you could be in for 10 years? Yeah, I think, I think it's it's a mix of crypto and kind of uh, personal finance, kind of feeling uh, feeling like, I, you know, I'm helping people to manage their, their finance in a better way. And also, I mean, I've been in fintech for the last 10 years, always working for a few banks in the innovation labs. So there was always the thing of how we make 
specific uh, pr- financial product more accessible. That being, uh, you know, a mortgage app, a mortgage, a more mobile app for uh, mortgages, or, or like a credit card for kids, you know, to help parents managing the finances of the kids. So all these conversations were already kind of my bread and butter for the last uh, for the previous ten years. Mm-hmm. And then um, when c- crypto came, it was just wow! It was just like overwhelmed. It was another level of of you know creating new world. Even if sometimes I speak with my colleagues in the crypto space and they just, they decompose on finance to kind of the prim- primordial blocks, but then when they compose it again and they create like, you know, a saving account again, they create like again an IBAN code, you know what I mean? They create something that's very similar to what was before because at the end of the day, maybe that was the, the main need. That's still the main need, the fact of having a number that where people kind of send, f- send you funds, right? So some stuff are kind of in the crypto space excited me because they're very, innovative and you know, all the modularity, the concept that everything is connected to each other and you can you can really um, foster the uh, modular innovation by combining few things. And But the other things are also like the, the concept of personal finance help like normal people to compete at the same level. I think that's a really noble uh, mission to have. Mm. And what exactly were you doing when you had the concept for CoinRoll? Where were you working? I was working actually at, in, in the government, in the UK government. At, um, I was a contractor for the Department for International Trade uh, in the British government here. And um, and actually the idea of CoinRoll came first because I, I was at uh, kind of Christmas drinks and um, and one of my colleagues, was he did the one strategy that every day he was just buying, the, he was doing with stocks, buying the top stock of the day for 24 hours and then selling it and buying it. Selling it. And then he wrote a script, right, on IG Index. Um, so I went, I went back home that night after drunk, trying to do the same thing uh, on IG Index. I didn't manage to do it. I don't know because even I'm, I'm a bad coder, I'm, I was drunk. I don't know, but <laughs> I, the idea came about. Then and then and, and then, uh, yeah. So it was from that night. So at the Department of International Trade, I was doing literally uh, user experience design, uh, user research. Um, this was very interesting, but it was a bit unrelated from from fintech. Mm, and that was for that was a governmental tool. So this is a, a public access interface that you're making when you're working for the government? It was, uh, yeah, it was the portal called uh, great.co.uk. Uh, it's uh, for uh, helping SMEs exporting abroad. Uh, so, you know, they, they have a lot of international contractors, you know, to tackle also several markets, you know, in South Europe, East Europe and all of that. So it was interesting because I was interviewing a lot of um, owners of SMEs all over the countries and, uh, and you know, kind of sending their problem, how, how the government can help them with the most services. So it was more on the service design uh, side. Last 10 years, over $100 billion worth of crypto has been lost or stolen, specifically because of poor key management, scams, and hackers. Forget not your keys, not your crypto. Software and hardware wallets have both the same vulnerability, that a single private key can be lost, hacked, or simply just misplaced. My new sponsor, the Zengo Crypto Wallet, is a total game changer, bringing wallet security to a whole new level. You have to check out Zengo, an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which has, just until now, only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. So Zengo, most secure Web3 wallet, is the best place to keep your crypto, NFTs, and assets secured. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery system, and it's also just beautiful. Get started at Zengo.com and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's Zengo.com, code ATC for $20 back on your purchase of $200 or more. Yeah. And, and how long was it between when you had this concept uh, in your head to when you knew, how long, did you know your co-founders beforehand or did you meet them fairly soon? That's an interesting story because... Um, at that time, I mean, I, I had this idea, but at that time I was already wor- working with my previous one. I was working at Pelinko, right? At night, basically. I was doing a nine to five and then five to 11. So, and I was in this accelerator called Mass Challenge that is in Boston, but they had a couple of editions in the UK. So I was very stressed. I was working all day and then going back to uh, Tobacco Docs in London, where I was employing three people actually to develop the, all the app, Pelinko. And then, so I was super stressed. There was always this guy, this ginger guy on the other side of the table that was like, always wanted to have a coffee with me. He was like, hey man, we should have a coffee. I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't have time. I'm super stressed. <laughs> and then after two months, he was really perseverant. 
So after two months, finally, we, we actually uh, got to talk together. And Pelingo, my company was going nowhere. I mean, we had the problem with the, with the tech, the backend, the, all the regulation. Um, and, and, and then, we, you know, we just started talking when just we fell in love about the idea, about the crypto space. Like, you know, there was very, uh, there's a lot of chemistry. So we basically slowly, we, we kind of decided to, after like, I think a couple of months, decided to close our current companies. Um, uh, and then we, we started calling together. And then after that, it's an interesting part happened because we had to find a co-founder. Uh, and by the way, in the same period, I, the, the co-founder I had with my Pelinko business, she got deported back to the US. <laughs> she got a letter from the, from the government. It's like, look, your visa expires in the week. She had to go back. So I lost my previous co-founder in Pelinko also because she got, the, she went away. You know, startup, you know, startup life is crazy. All, all sorts of things happen. And even uh, then we ended up uh, finding a CTO. The first one was, uh, yeah, we, we, we didn't get along. The second one was also we didn't get along because it was, uh, another side of the world. And then we found uh, Zanek that was also at Mass Challenge with another company. And what happened to him, his co-founder died. This poor guy died. He discovered like leukemia. And then after five days died. So wow. Zanek, wow. Like, man, startup life is crazy. Man, wait, that's not startup life. That's just, that's just life life. So he, wait, five days right. after discovering he died? That's yeah, crazy. that's life. And so... So, you know, like Zanek was in shock for like, you know, a month, month. Then when he was, uh, he was getting better, he went for a trip with his sister and all of that. And then actually after the trip was, are you guys still looking for a CTO? You know, it's like, yeah, I'll join because I guys know you. We were at the accelerator together. And man, that was the best thing, uh, you know, that happened to us because finally we had like a very strong third, third co-founder CTO. And then when stuff picked up. And how did you two uh, split the responsibilities? You mentioned you're interested in finance or market side. Like, how do you? You two split. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I focus more on the product side uh, and more on the kind of sales. Uh, I'm, I'm very good at kind of emotional selling, and where my co-founder is very is great at uh, all the financials, analytics, you know, the details, the numbers. He worked at Citibank, so he knows all that aspect. Also, how to talk to bankers. Um, so yeah, we split like this. Like I do more the aggressive sales and product. And then it has mostly, mostly kind of the, the more sophisticated marketing, the analytics, the finance as well. But we really overlap a lot. So we actually have, um, we have like a, a file where we actually, it's called co-founder responsibilities, where we, we, we actually update time to time what we're, what you're doing, what I'm doing, what are you leading, what I'm leading. It's very important because if you overlap too much, then the team, the whole team end up having two, two CEOs and they kind of, they lose, you know, they, they don't know who to follow. Uh, so it's very good to have at least one that everyone knows, you know, that uh, as the last last word on, on something. Totally. And when you're selling, is it, are you selling now to corporations? Is it private sales? What would what, what sales look like today? I mean, uh, for, for me, mostly was was fundraising till like six months ago. You know, when we did a fundraise, so I was like, you know, fundraising going on stage, boom, boom. Uh, but then uh, now it looks more like um, talking to yeah to big traders tra- groups of traders, uh, also talking to funds and kind of doing more enterprise packages for them. Um, so you know it'll be a little bit more uh, uh, negotiating and aggressive on the pricing. Um, it's a different game, you know, from from the retail market. So uh, yeah, I do, I do most of that. And also I love growth hacking. I really love growth hacking. I just have so much pleasure from finding like new ways of kind of you know reaching a new channel, reaching a new distribution. And uh, and that's how also the the first the basically the the the, the lack of of coin rule was when we built uh, this machine. It's a the big attack that brought the first ten thousand uh, dollars a month in coin rule, and and it's basically a uh, um, we call it the landing jam. It's a machine that builds thousands of thousands of landing pages uh, in seven different languages every month, and they go on Google. And 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 it's kind of we build this stuff systematically. It's like a machine that does all of that. And, and then we figured out that some of the pages, they rank first position on the first page of Google. Like, so in terms of SEO, it's really the, 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 the big deal, really. So with this trick that costed us zero, but that it was three months of work going left and right, talking to a lot of different specialists, we managed to actually get the first revenues. And now it's still like that, that trick still constitutes around 50% of our revenues. And it's, it's, you know, we kind of also, um, improved it and even some companies asked us at time to time to actually to sell them the service to them but obviously we are focused on coin rule yeah let me ask you a little bit more about that so so technically speaking you're creating extensions so like coinrule.com forward slash landing page uh a or i'm sure there's more you'd have naming associated with that but 
Yeah, there's a component of the URL being in a specific structure in a specific way, but you know we capture words from uh, in the URL with the keywords exchanges, and all of these all these content get make, mixed up. Um, and every spread we we kind of release sixteen thousand pages, and we know that at least forty percent of them them are original. So Google lo- loves it. Google all these pages that are original content. The other ones they kind of share some degree of similarities. So some of them get uh, kind of. Um, they don't really get crawled. That's because Google do- doesn't penalize you. They just don't get crawled. Uh, so you don't get traffic. But you know, if you think about, I don't know, 10,000 pages um, on Google every month, even if you get one visit per page, it's a very long tail, you actually get a good stream of traffic. And then thanks to this, uh, to this hack, it, this hack really kind of saved us from bankruptcy during COVID. Because what happened is like, fast forward, we are in... Um, March 2020, we had a time sheet from a, from an investor for starting our seed round. Um, the investor all of a sudden said, like, look, guys, we have to actually uh, f- uh, keep funding our portfolio company, so the deal is not on the table anymore. We're like, oh, shit, we don't have cash flow. We don't have cash in the bank, so we had to fire a couple of people, some people in Forlo. Um, yeah, so it was pretty, pretty tough. But then I was in a position, okay, what do you have in the company now? You know, we are not going to pay salaries for us for three months, six months, that's fine. But we have a lot of traffic on the page. We need to monetize this traffic and then do something with it. So we created an investment page, like literally invest in us. And um, and then after a few days, I figured out that was illegal. So I tried to change all the terminology and all this crap because you cannot advertise an investment without being regulated. Uh, and then and then we changed it. But then it was amazing. Like we, we see it like unfolded, like we saw it like unfolding, like it was amazing. So we got a lot of, uh, a lot of people just like uh, filling the form uh, because they were interested in investing in the company, not in, in cryptos. So we got more than 120 people interested in investing se- several type of tickets, you know, from 10k to 100k, and then we were sending them the timesheet directly. And then with all this like uh, pre pre kind of preparation work, we went and see this, and we did a crowdfunding campaign. And the crowdfunding campaign was just exceptional; it was like a success. Where did you do uh, the crowdfunding campaign? Uh, it's called on a platform called Cedars, but it was in, it was in the yeah Cedars. And uh, I mean, it was just just amazing. So we were in, in a pre-sale, you know, there's the pre-sale before you open to the public. We already reached 200%. So we had to open and we went out to the public. We already 102% funded. So we reached, so we did a 700K USD um, uh, raise. And that, and then one month after the bull market started, and then when we grew 10X. So it was just like a lot of different things. And, and that's thanks to the landing page growth hack, to the second growth hack that was an idea that we had. You know, really growth hacking, it's really the key uh, to, to startup uh, growth. Yeah. Uh, so I'm uh, curious, where were those investors? Were they all over the world or consolidated in the US or UK? Um, this one, uh, no, we're all over the world. We're all over the world. Yeah. Because uh, the cool thing with CoinRule is that we are laid on top of the exchanges, so we don't own the funds. You know, we, we, we ask you to connect uh, your favorite platform through an API key to CoinRule. Mm-hmm. So by doing that, we are defined uh, from by the regulators as a software provider, mm. because we don't touch our funds, and also we charge our flat monthly subscription, so it's like a SaaS platform basically. So we don't basically we don't charge on transaction, and we don't own your fund. So we are a software provider. So from day one, we were global, and there was a big market. And we always, me and Oleg, we always try my co-founder, or we always try to 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 create businesses that are very lean, and they can validate the market first before building the, the hardcore technology. So that's that's much more. It's a better way. It's more convenient, especially if you're starting with your own funds. Mm. Uh, so understanding this growth hack. So conceptually, what you're doing is you're creating an algorithm that you built that creates new landing pages systematically. So it says like run the script, create 10,000 new landing pages, use these uh, keywords in r- different combinations. The mm-hmm. co- the content for the pages must be largely repetitive, though, right? Uh, otherwise, where would you be getting the content? Yeah, I mean, no, but you can can build it in a way that is not repetitive. So you know, you have like variables in the text. So you need to do just do the main metrics, but it takes like mm-hmm. you take uh, one freelancer, you know, in one language it takes one day for him to do that uh, metrics, and then the, the, the script mix and match that. Um, yeah, I'm surprised it's not. Did you look at what's out there? Is there anything out there that does this? No, basically, there is like I know that some companies like Bitcoin, like Expedia, TripAdvisor, they do that. You know, they have a huge SEO team and they have proper CRM in place, and that's fine. But there is not not such a tool on the market. So 
I know that maybe someday, I, you know, I could just give this one to someone to actually build this, spin it off as, as a different startup. And it's, it's a good marketing tool. You know, it's not going to be a billion company, but it's a good yeah. marketing tool. Yeah. Yeah. And would it, it, do you think the important is it, how important is it that it is on the same domain? So as opposed to if you had like a, very, very important, yeah. there are like a lot of things that then you learn, you know, now we have like uh to SEO consultant, and you know, we kind of I always speak to SEO people because I like SEO. Um, but there are several yeah, technicalities that you need to look. So one of the main one is like you cannot have, you know, under fifty thousand pages going through the same uh, second level path of the URL. So there's con.com slash something, right? Slash exchange slash strategy. They need to, you know, they we have at least like 10, 20 different second level URL path to get through mm. those pages. Yeah, that's very important. Had you heard about that from someone else, or has that been? So there was like that, that's the thing. Like we were the the first fundraise before the crowdfunding was in uh, in Budapest in Hungary. So uh, let's go back like two steps. So the first first fundraise was two hundred thousand uh, dollars. It was uh, it was given by a, a bank, uh, MKB Bank from Budapest, Hungary, and from uh, two angels that they happened to be my previous bosses when I was working in Finland ten years earlier, my first job ever in Finland working in their agency, working with Nokia, you know the phone company mm-hmm. back then, Nokia. Um, anyway, so uh, and so we moved to Budapest for four months, and with another startup it was a big house, you know, two startups with two dogs as well. They brought the dogs over. It was was crazy. It was a lot. It was like a an Erasmus project, you know, exchange uh, university program, basically almost. And uh, and then yeah, this guy was uh, Daniel is like uh, we became very good friends. He just like told me about this like, idea, just like mentioned, and really resonated with me. I just went 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 nuts on that. Stuff. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. And how did he dive deep and show you how it worked or just the concept, just explaining it to you in the first place? He did it in a very kind of light touch way with this company. And, uh, you know, but they didn't really go obsessed on it. Uh, I really became obsessed. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. Do you think, I, is this something that every startup should do? I mean, I can't, uh, if you're relying on growth, I mean, who, who shouldn't do this? Who doesn't want? To do <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there's this uh, the book you know uh, what's called Traction, right? The, it's a very good book for growth hacking, and uh, it shows you 52 marketing channels and sales channels. And they, they they tell you, you know, when you find something that works, just focus on that. So if you find one channel, just allocate all 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 the funds there, and just you know get obsessed with that. And uh, and then after you finish with them with that that works then you can move to the next one and do some experiments at the beginning obviously you take three or five channels you do small experiments and then you see what works when you find something that works just go for it mm. um so for us then it was difficult to move away from the organic um organic um acquisition strategy because obviously the vcs they want to see a, a proper paid uh, customer acquisition cost uh, so we started experimenting with few channels and then what worked was affiliate so affiliate marketing now works very well so we have an affiliate program we talk to a lot of outlets there's like enough so it's very good very good relationship but it's more uh qualitative it's more intense in terms of uh, relationship building uh, and then now we are experimenting again uh, with the dsp that is uh, basically real-time bidding uh, for uh, banner spaces on different uh, uh, website networks um because with crypto few people that are not in crypto don't know that but we cannot advertise on facebook we cannot advertise on on google there are very strict regulations uh, and and that's a really big limit in terms of customer acquisition. So you need to be cr- very creative to actually you know work around those limits. Have you heard anything about that changing? It seems like that would have to change. I mean, Facebook pivoted into crypto, <laughs> effectively. It's it's softened up a little bit. So there's something that you can do something, like but uh, there are also some strategies to kind of uh, to use proxies to advertise that. Mm. I assume the big tech companies are concerned about fraud primarily. There's people throwing. Yes, it, it makes sense because if you are a crypto exchange, by law, you are required to have a license. So if you have a license, actually, Google allow you to go to um, to advertise, right? But in our case, the the actual FCA in the UK told us that we are not a crypto business. We are a software provider. We have a paper from them, but then uh, neither Google or Facebook, uh, you know, want to look at this paper because it's all an automatic system. Mm. Um, so yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, on the uh, the affiliates, those are like YouTubers and bloggers and these kind of yeah, things. Yeah, we have a group of traders, and then they have their own communities on everywhere: Discord, YouTube, uh, Reddit. Um, they are like also uh, you know magazine outlets that kind of uh, do the distribution from you. It's a it's a mix of um, 
it's a mix of things. But uh, yeah, they're like you can you can join one of the big network like CJ and you know, you put your 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 program there and then kind of uh, marketers come to you, or uh, you can just have your own program. We have our own program, so it's very good. Uh, if you if any marketer uh, you know listening wants to join, just uh, reach reach out to me. And, uh, yeah, it's very it's very good. And did you do outreach for the affiliate program? To set that up initially, yeah, yeah, yeah. we have a two, we have a, we have a team for okay. that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice, interesting. Yeah, I hope the I hope they're not regulations. I hope the policies change for the companies to allow crypto more advertising dollars because it's like I, there's got to be enormous pressure. You know, you want that as a crypto founder, P- people would want that as people interested in crypto products, and then obviously more more ad money coming in for the big tech companies is always a good thing. So, and I mean, you know, uh, there is, I don't understand what it's like some app that can advertise, you know, even for betting or other activities and not crypto. So. Yeah. Uh, curious to ask you about the YC experience being remote, right? It was remote when you were 2021. Yeah, unfortunately, yes, it was remote. Yeah. Uh, how was that? How, how did you see that as being different uh, from in person in terms of the actual? pragmatic experience of it obviously you aren't physically near each other was there a a pro to it something that you got out of it more so than than people in person wouldn't have got out of it and then obviously the con being you don't get to break bread in person yeah i think i think uh, i mean i mean i would have loved to go there because i'm a, I'm a digital nomad since five years i travel around and i've been in sf many times and you know in the various startup community so in co-living spaces as well so you know being there would have been just like Amazing, but knowing myself, it would be, be would have been also very distracting. Uh, so being at home, actually, uh, you know, we lost a little bit on the social side, so we didn't build you know lifelong friends. Uh, but uh, we were at home, actually working much more uh, because of the lockdowns and all of that. Um, and uh, yeah, so overall, it was an amazing experience. I mean, we they reached out when we were at something like under fifty k MRR, so it was already you know good revenues. So it was a big, uh, big decision for us. Like, should we join? Should we not? Maybe we have, we have to advance for them. Also, I didn't really want to move to the US and the, the you know the company uh, to move to Delaware because you know the UK and in you know Europe in, yeah they're giving us so much like so much support, help you know free office space forever like mentorship advisory and everything's you know the the being building a startup in London is actually the best thing that can happen to you like uh, if you want to be an entrepreneur. Because the legislation is so easy, there are all tools. It's very everything is very pragmatic. It's very actually it's very good ecosystem. So anyway, move, the concept of moving didn't resonate with me. But then we, we we decided to go for it. It took three months to do all the paperwork just to flip the company. We spent like around fifty thousand dollars just to, to you know to, to move all the the, the, the company there. Um, and but then overall it was a good choice because you know we got mentored by the the, the founders of Airbnb and Branchesk is, is one of my role, my, um, role model because he comes also from a design background so you know I really see a team like okay this is, can be done um, and then the, there is the, you know the guy we talked with the guy from Stripe we we got mentored by um, Tom from Monzo uh, you know and our our partner group partners were were just great. And your experience just end up like kind of playing in a, in a different league. Like, you know, you become like part of the Silicon Valley mafia, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're on their own information and their own intranet called Bookface that's super private, but super f- full of information. You can reach out to any founders or previous company, current company. They will reply to you. They will help you out. It's just great. We also have a, um, one of the, uh, some reviews of QVCs, you know, how they behave with our colleagues. So whenever they contact us, we go there and we check, you know, is this guy good? You know, he just went away from the deal like the day before. And then, um, there is this very interesting, um, thing that happened when you press you. So you join, you join and then, you know, you're just like startup and then, you start having a lot of kind of outreach from people that you don't know and they want to invest in you. And these people are kind of, when you join, you're not yet public, right? No one knows that you're in So they start asking you questions to understand if you're part of the program. And then like, you know, because obviously they want to start talking to you early on so they can have a better deal. Uh, and then, uh, but that's what they tell them. I see, don't talk to investors, uh, you know, at the beginning for the first couple of months. Um, and then uh, and then you do the demo day. It's amazing. You know, it's like you, you pitch for one minute and we got like, more than hundreds uh, emails of people in, interested in investing funds, like even Binance as well. Uh, wanted to have a, to invest a ticket, but we uh, you know we preferred not to take it at this stage. I mean, the future totally. Um, and uh, so that was a very strange situation. We did a, a two point two million round, so relatively small. We could have done easily like ten million, but we didn't want to dilute too much. Uh, 
uh, because already we were having good, uh, we were already at some point for six months, we were already cash flow positive. Uh, so we had money in the bank. Um, but, uh, and then after that, you just are on the radar of all the big VCs. Now we talk with, uh, you know, uh, Anderson Norovitz, Axel, Atomic, all the big, big VCs. And it's very interesting. And then it's funny, like, you know, we entered a specific valuation that uh, we were already negotiating with one VC in uh, Switzerland, even before YC. We, after three months, our valuation just doubled. Mm. For no reason, really, for no reason. Like, I don't know why. The same company, the revenue, okay, you know, they were growing, and that's fine, but, but you know, it's like, it's really, really big leverage, a big, like, stamp, validation stamp, and, uh, and also, like, the, just the family is just great. All, all the people in West, all the founders are just, uh, just amazing people. Yeah, that's a really cool story. Uh, so, internally, the, the resources that, that are there, obviously, the people, huge part of it. it there's a, the investor review list, they have a similar thing in uh, Techstars too, another accelerator, basically reviewing inve- reviewing investors. Because from the founder's perspective, you, this is happening on the other side of the table. Investors are getting together and they're using their compound effects to pressure you down on valuations. And they they do deals all day, every day. So they're much more familiar with the terms and negotiating tactics. So I view this as something that, that founders have collectively against to push back on investors. Is that, you said, said Bookface, that the name of the resource or the CRM that lists this is? I think maybe, I don't know if I'm allowed to say. Oh, okay. Maybe it's, yeah. yeah, probably. That's a great name. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a top secret or not. <clears throat> um I, I do find, tell me you, if this is your, your experience too, that there's a, there's a shift psychologically when you talk to you know, Brian from Airbnb, uh, he, I, I, I don't know about your conversation with him, but o- oftentimes I find when you talk to people who have started big companies, you're not getting any deep insight about the specific tactics of growing your business. That's like, Oh my God, that was such a good idea that, you know, we never would have thought about it because you're a smart guy and you think about this all the time. And it's much more about like, hey, you can do it. Attitude. It's it's that you that mm-hmm. the, the world is eight billion people in it, and you know it's super competitive, and everyone's building super fast in crypto. It's like it can often feel as a founder, especially when you're working alone and you have a distributed team, it can feel like how how are we going to overcome or make this happen and turn this into a, a billion dollar company? And when you speak to people who have done it before, it 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 reiterates the pathway. It's like oh. You do A, and then you do B, and then you do C, and then you do D. You don't jump from A to D. And that motivation is not trivial. It's a really influential part of why people are successful, is that they deeply internalize the emotional experience of being successful. Is that something that resonates with you? Have you felt that way? or? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, part of that is because, um, let's be honest. I mean, the, the most successful company in the world are Americans, right? And, you know, founders are Americans. So it must be also a cultural element. But if you take us at European or European founder, it's totally different. Like me, I'm an open book to everyone, right? And I talk about all, all the bad stuff that happened in the company because I strongly believe this is much more constructive and, uh, you know, than actually just saying like, everything is good. I'm amazing and showing off the, your, your Lamborghini car. So in fact, uh, what I do, I actually go and talk a lot to founders that, uh, um, you know, that actually failed because they can learn, you can learn much more from them. They can tell you, you know, what went wrong. And whenever I do a business, when I find like uh, that somebody the same business, like, you know, three years before me, I just go there and contact them. And they were like, literally, like, they always tell me like, what do you want from me? Like, but they have that, you know, they've gone through all of that. They've seen, they've like analyzed the problem. They've validated or unvalidated the problem. They felt the pain and they've done already that journey. So I can just go there, either like literally pay them to give me all that knowledge so that I don't do the same, the same you know, journey. And then sometimes you can take it, you can see that, you know, there was a problem in execution or maybe the market was not yet ready for that product, but at least you get a big insight. So what not to do if you want to go in that, in that field. Uh, and that's, I think that, that should be the attitude, like just laugh and, and smile about all the fuck up that happened in the company in the startup because that's what really makes you learn obviously my experience when i meet this uh you know we had basically every day we were doing with the wagon minute or we had like three hours workshop like every day it was like going back to uni but then when we meet this when we met this like you know uh big father very successful founder, very smart people then you see that you know they're like they don't know. They don't know. You know, like well, sometimes they don't know what what's the best thing. It worked for them, but it doesn't mean that it will work for you. In fact, 
they talk about their experience. Like usually they say like what worked for me was blah 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 blah. So it's really every a startup is kind of it's a it's it's a it's kind of it's magic happening, you know, magic it happen on the fly, and you need to kind of make sense of it. And that magic happens because of a contextual situation that it was in a specific region, the specific time, that specific market, right? Obviously, there are techniques that you can take, but then you always need to kind of bring those techniques down to your situations, and and also and pro and and maybe one thing that's uh, shared across founders maybe the positive approach, the problem solving approach, also being very drastic in your decision because even when you do experiments, right, you want to change the price, right? You cannot change like just a little bit incremental change. You need to go do drastic experiments to understand if actually A or B works. Otherwise, you don't have clarity on your on your data set. So, for example, we are doing experiment with the pricing now. We're gonna go like you know, let's switch from monthly to quarterly. You know, ten percent of the users, and let's see what happens. That's it. So you know, like also an experiment. So this is probably one of the of the um, characteristic that I've seen um, in in a lot of funders. So being calm, kind of crunching through. But also being able to to cut through the crop when it's needed. Yeah, yeah, good perspectives. Uh, you mentioned the regulation in London. Is it the regulation in the UK? And how do you feel about the UK? Uh, uh, certainly, as unbiased as possible. How do you feel about the the tra- trajectory of the startup ecosystem in the UK? Certainly, the advantage of the American market is that there's just more humans in America than there is in UK. Are there other factors that you think either limit or help accelerate growth in in cities like London? I think I think I think London is um, uh, if you take maybe one borough of London, it's probably as, as big as the the Seven Mile of San Francisco. So, and if you go in the right mind, right borough like Hackney or, or Oxton, when there are a lot of hipsters, you can really have a controlled experiment of your MVP. So that's a very good thing. On top of that, the government as uh, a lot of incentives for investors, where they actually, uh, it's a, kind of a scheme called SCIS, where 50% of the, the, the money you invest in a company actually goes back to you as a credit in tax. And that's really, for the for the pre-seed investment, like the, under, the first 150K, it's really the, the hack. That's very good. Um, and then secondly, they strongly believe in entrepreneurship here. So there's a lot of support at when you're starting, when you really need it. Because the, I mean, from from zero to one, the famous zero to one. That's where you need the most support, right? And and here you can find like even you know if you think about legal advice here, it's much cheaper than the US. So in the US, man, after we 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 um we flipped the company to Delaware, my lawyer charged me under fifty dollars for introduction to a bank, an introduction that he asked me to do. Like it was like, um, do you want an introduction to a bank? Because I was like, oh yes, sure. Introduce me. Next thing I know. The invoice is like under fifty dollars for the introduction. What? What? So now we have this uh, this deal that you're always gonna write on on off meter on the subject of the email, because like you know this will never happen in the UK because they understand you're starting off and the startup and all of that. So there are like a lot of benefits, but then there is the the main um, the main problem is for the is on the go to market because you know, as you was mentioning, four hundred million people in the US, you do one product. You know, and you launch it. That's it. You know, the states are different, but more or less the same language, same kind of behavior, more or less. In Europe, each single country has got a different language, different behaviors, different regulations. So it's kind of, uh, it's much more difficult uh, in terms yeah. of um, scaling up a business. Yeah. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I wanted to ask you about that. So you, I think, grew up in Naples, Italy, and yeah, yeah, no uh, My my ancestors, twenty five percent of them, come from Italy. My great grandfather came over on a boat, uh, a train, a boat, and you know Ellis Island, New York, did that whole thing, and it worked out. You know, I'm I'm here and alive. How do you? What's your perspective on Italy's uh, trajectory? I, I don't see a lot of startups coming out of Italy. Is the language barrier? culture, uh, some other element. I mean, why, why are you not in Italy and 
what do you think about Italy's uh, technologies? I'm, I'm not sure. To be honest. I, I'm totally detached from that. I mean, obviously, I go and visit my family. I love to go there on holiday. But um, yeah, I mean, I can see from outside. I, I literally never worked in Italy, maybe only for six months when I was at uni. But then my first job was in Finland and then London and then US and et cetera, et cetera. So I don't even know what's the work culture, but from what I can see, it's really um, based around... Um, kind of families and strong relationship at work. So your colleagues become your, your friends. And 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 then it's just, I'm not sure, it's all about probably taking risks. And also there's this thing that, um, probably they say the same also about California, that, you know, you have a very good weather and very good, like, food and very good, you know, beautiful country. You know, you don't have that drive to actually go back on the laptop and just work all day. If you go to Finland, they work so much in Finland because they have nothing to do. It's cold outside. Um, so it's a mix of cultural... Um, I mean, that, Italy is like, I think it's, it's, it's uh, not great at tech, but it's great at luxury goods because they really, in terms of luxury goods and fashion and design, you know, they're the best. So they actually, they have brands like Ferrari, like their brands like, you know, Lamborghini, all, the, all, of, the, all, of, all of that is good because it's kind of culturally, you know, we have all that aesthetic and art history background and we can, we can easily do that. But in terms of taking risk, building the latest tech, uh, probably tech, um, it's good for research. It's very theoretical, but it's not great for like the, the, the actual applied technology, kind of the merging the, 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 the commercial side of it with the university side of it or the research side of it. So that, that's why, you know, like a lot of people just go, when you want to build a company and you are in Italy, you, you try to, to make it kind of in Milan because Milan is more kind of international and it's a great city. I love it. Uh, or you just go to London. Oh, yeah. A few people go to maybe Berlin, but uh, yeah. So I think that also the language, like, uh, in, in essence, the English language is a very pragmatic type of, um, you know, way of communicating. It's really, it's much more dynamic and it fits very well with uh, doing business. So when I, when I try to, to speak in Italian with uh, my Italian friends about business, I, I mean, I don't have half of the vocabulary. Oh, it's interesting. Just like a, it's just a different the yeah. culture and different way of working. And, and then when I speak, when I, sp- when I, when I hear someone speaking Italian, about business, it sounds so weird to me. So yeah, so it's a. Uh, I think it's just a different culture, and uh, maybe at some point they will they will become also a bit uh, better in that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I like thinking about it. For me, I guess perspective being in America, the market here is so large that you you often interview people, and they're in their Series C, Series D. They may even IPO and never leave the country, <clears throat> and that's just a pure fact about how big the market is. Whereas in Europe, like you said, it's more eclectic or varied across languages. Um, there does seem to be the common element of the EU, which you know, London and UK are no longer a part of. Is that that is done, right? Yeah, I think as of yeah, <laughs> it's that- done, the technically it's done, but uh, culturally it's not. I mean, the yeah, UK is like you know everyone European here. Yeah, yeah. But it was just uh, I don't know. It was a glitch in, in yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I once said uh, once said to a journalist that I think re- Brexit will be reverted, and everyone is holding me accountable to that. <laughs> I, I, how? How? Really? I'm surprised. I almost think that that. I mean, if you look at the voting uh, demographic, the younger people voted to stay largely, and the old older people mm-hmm. voted to leave. So certainly, yeah. you know, time is on your side. And once you do a revote, I would imagine people yeah, give back. Yeah. They do it. You know, in any other uh, normal democracy with the kind of president of the republic and stuff like that, uh, after Brexit, I mean, after the the the, um, the, the referendum, they will they've actually step back and actually do more kind of uh, you know parliamentary consultation to understand if that would have been a right choice. But here they just went through because, as I said, they were very pragmatic. Yeah. How about you personally? So you, I know you love uh, reading and learning a lot of different things. Are you currently actively? reading, learning, new skills, anything particularly top of mind? Okay, now uh, I'm, uh, I'm learning French. So yeah, okay. my Monday and Wednesday are like about French. So trying to, to listen to French music, French movies. So, and then, um, yeah, and then I'm like, I'm also like uh, looking to buy a, a house. So every, <laughs> if I'm not like learning French, I'm basically going around to view apartments. That's what I'm doing nowadays. But in terms of reading, I'm reading the... The, the big classic, uh, the um, Hackers and Painters from uh, Paul Graham. Mm-hmm. That I started and then I stopped and I, I picked up again on my Kindle. 
Uh, and then I'm reading a lot of uh, kind of French books for kids because it's more uh, easy to understand. So mm, I like it. How is Hackers and Painters? I've never read it, but I've heard about it. It's um, hey, I'll say it's a. Uh, I mean, it kind of talks about like it's not just like tech. It actually talks about like how really te- teenagers, smart teenagers, end up being the nerd, and they, you know, they, and they're like not really part of a group, so they actually diverge and they actually start thinking toward and looking at things in different ways, and that's how probably they become startup material. So it's very interesting because it's like the genesis of, of the beginning of an entrepreneur. Uh, they, don't, they don't just talk about being a company, but how your education and being in a specific hood and you know fo- following specific people that don't follow the mass, actually, it's, it's very beneficial for startup. Uh, so, you know, basically when you're at uh, in high school and you're not the cool kid, you are probably, uh, you know, considered like a loser. But in that case, you have more time actually to experiment, um, you know, being at home and reading and actually experiment things on the tech side more than just going partying, you know, being the cool guy. So it actually gives you a really different perspective how the nerd became to be the cool people in Silicon Valley. Mm, interesting. Any uh, any thoughts? Any? I know you, you're you're an ideas guy. Do you have across the pathway of building Coin Rule? Are there other business concepts that you've stumbled across that you're like, oh man, if I wasn't building Coin Rule, this would be something? You, you obviously mentioned the landing page idea. Uh, are there other products that you wish existed, either in crypto or elsewhere? Uh, so many. <laughs> I dream of a lot of products, but then they don't. Yeah. No, I've been so actually before Coin Rule, I play a lot of tennis, uh, so. Uh, I really wanted to have this, uh, basically something for quickly booking like a court and the tennis match. And then I put together two, three people. And then, uh, I was like, guys, I put you together because I'm excited about this, but actually I'm full time on court. I don't have time. And then, every, you know, that stuff died. And then after one year, this guy comes to me like, man, I got investment. I'm doing this up. Remember that type of And then actually it's happening. So it's cool. I'm, I'm using this app called Racket Pal. Uh, and it's in London. So I can just uh, find people to play with. And it's amazing. And that was one thing. Uh, and then, um, then there are always like a lot of ideas, but I try to kind of keep it focused mm. um, on this one. Like, I, I know that after CoinRule, probably I'll do something about climate tech because uh, I'm an environmentalist, I'm vegetarian you know, by choice because I want to offset my flights. I, I try to take the train when I can. Like, now I have this rule that uh, you know, flights before uh, two hours are banned. I just take a train. Um, so, uh, for example, I did last time I did Paris to Naples. It was amazing. It was like Paris, Milan, seven hours. I was working like, easily. Like, and you pass by the countryside, Chamonix with snow. And then uh, Milan, Nablo was, was four hours. So relaxing. You can work. You know, you feel good because of the environment. So, yeah, I think climate tech would be one of the things I would like to tackle next. Mm, that's interesting. I like that. Uh, yeah, that'll be a big one too. So, where can people reach you? Are you active on Twitter? Are you writing? On the internet, yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Uh, yeah, reach me basically mostly on LinkedIn nowadays. I do LinkedIn because I have all, all my investors there, so I need to communicate to them. Uh, or just send me an email, gab at coinrule.com. So easily, yeah. And, and do you manage investor communication on Twitter? On on on, on sorry, on LinkedIn, or is it just company uh, updates? I mean, we, have, we, have the, we have the official, yeah, we have the official email, like you know, the report every month, and we are very uh, religious about that. But then uh, I always publish two, three um, kind of news from uh, from my personal account, not even a company account. So yeah, I try to leverage that. Sweet man. Well, I enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, congrats on all the progress. What, what's uh, what would be helpful for Coinroy? You guys looking to your you raise money recently? Are you trying to hire people or new customers? Yeah. Totally. So we are looking for a head of growth hmm. or like. A, Marketing manager, you know, we don't, we don't mind the diff, you know, the, the experience, like how much experience you have. We need someone talented. And then we are looking for a design lead because I cannot do design at night anymore because <laughs> I'm the, the only designer in the company still. When I don't do business, I need to actually open Figma and start like designing UIs. Damn. Good for you. You've done everything, all the design work so far? No, 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 not all the design myself, but you know, kind of at least 60%. Yeah. yeah. Well, it looks great. I really like the product. So check it out, coinrule.com. My man, Gabriel, thanks for coming on and uh, wish you the best, dude. Perfect. Thank you very much, guys. Thank See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.